Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, I'm going to say this for the last time in a while. Would you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24? If you're getting used to your Bibles, it's about three-fourths of the way back. If you're using one of the black Bibles, it's on page 738. Uh, Those black Bibles should be near you in the seat racks, uh, say NIV on the end. And uh, we're going to look at Luke 24, because today is the last day in our series in the Gospel of Luke. Some of you have been looking up at these banners and seeing, again, uh, the life of Christ. We've been studying this. Why have we been studying this? Because we want to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus, right? So as we study this today, today we're going to come to the last few verses of Luke. And in these verses, we're going to see what is commonly called Jesus' ascension, from the word ascend, to go up. And we're going to look at those verses. Before we do, though, at the end of Luke 24, I just want you to notice something. Uh, In verse uh, 44 and 45 of chapter 24, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Steve mentioned this last week, but where are we going after today? For the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at Jesus in the Old Testament. We're going to see some of the things that he opened their minds to understand of how the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. And so we're going to look at some of those classic texts. Uh, this summer. So we look forward to that. But today I want to talk to you about verses 50 through 53. And if you can be ready after we read those together, I want you to read from Acts 1, 1 through 11. That's two books to the right. And if you're using the Black Bible, that's 758. So if you want to be ready to do that, but I want to invite you uh, to look at these last verses with me as we think about Jesus' ascension. And as we think about Jesus' ascension, this is when Jesus left his disciples. I don't know how you deal, but I don't like goodbyes. I'm not good at them. I'm not good at anticipating them. And I've moved away several times in my life from places. And then I've seen people move away from where I lived. And again, I don't usually associate leaving with joy, but usually sadness. But if you're following along in the notes this morning, before we look at this text, I want to just mention two things to you so you can see what we're going to unpack together. At first, if you're following along in the notes, notice that in both Luke 24 and also Acts 1, Jesus does four things that we notice. First, Jesus appears. He appoints. He tells them to wait, and then he ascends. Jesus appears, in fact, we're going to read that he appears over a period of 40 days with many convincing proofs. He appoints, in other words, he says, I've got an assignment for you. I'm appointing you as my witnesses in this world. Then he tells them to wait. Wait for what? Wait for the gift, the person of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends. So we see this pattern in both Luke and Acts. And the thing I want you to notice, again, if you're following along in the notes there, here's a question I'd like for us to consider together today. Why is Jesus leaving and ascension the basis for great joy? Great joy. 
Remember I told you that when I think of people that I've become close to, that I'm attached to, the idea of them leaving creates great pain, does not create great joy. And so we're going to see in this passage that startlingly, uh, the early Christians, when Jesus left, instead of being filled with great pain so much, they were filled with great joy. Now, before I talk about joy anymore, I know that, again, as a pastor, I'm always conscious that on any given Sunday morning, some of you came in here with great pain. And so what, when we talk about great joy, what do you picture? A lot of times people picture great joy as just almost silly happiness, like just like, ah, you know, this kind of thing. And great joy involves that sometimes, but great joy is not so much a feeling as it is a knowledge, a very personal knowledge of what is still true. And so uh, someone has defined joy as not the absence of sorrow. You can still be sorrowful sometimes when you have joy, but it's the presence of God. Joy is not the absence of sorrow, but the presence of God. And this idea is, is that joy, this knowledge, runs like a quiet, deep river under our lives, holding us up no matter what we face. And when you and I are able to walk around with that kind of great joy, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're laughing. It means that we have this sense that something is greater than what we're facing. And so these early Christians, once Jesus ascended, were filled with great joy. And the question begs to be answered, what did they understand that we don't understand about Jesus' ascension? And if we understood it, we too could be filled with great joy like they were. And so I want to talk with you about Jesus' ascension today. I want to talk to you from what if it hadn't happened? Let's just say Jesus would have stayed put here on earth. You ever thought about this? If he had stayed put, you know, we pray for a different church every Sunday. We pray that God will work in that church and not just in our church family, right? Well, if Jesus stayed, he could probably only be in one place at a time, right? And so that'd be not as great. But one of the reasons we can pray for other churches is because we now understand that he can be in more than one place at a time. How did that come about? Well, we're going to learn. We're going to look at the ascension today. So let's look at this together. Let's read the last uh, four verses of Luke together. You'll notice the be ready to read verses 51 and 52 in the gray box. I'll read verse 50 first. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, again, that's just a bedroom community two miles outside of Jerusalem, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. We talked about his blessing last summer. Let's read verse 51 and 52 together. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Verse 53, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now, if you turn over to Acts 1, 1 through 11, I'll read that with you. And when we come to verse 11, I'll ask you to read that out loud from the notes in the gray box. Appreciate you bringing your Bibles. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You know what that implies? He's not done. He was just getting started. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside him. Now would you read verse 11 with me? Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so we want to talk about his departure, his leaving, his ascending today. So first, if Jesus doesn't ascend, what do we miss? Well, first, notice if he can't complete his mission and confirm that he is Lord. If Jesus doesn't ascend, he can't complete his mission and confirm that he is Lord. What do I mean? All that he accomplished on the cross, and he accomplished amazing, absolutely necessary things for us on the cross, all that he accomplished through his resurrection, if he had just stayed making occasional appearances and circling the earth that way, that would have been interesting, but he would not have fully completed his mission and he would not be able to be recognized by every person to be exalted as the Lord. So the ascension was absolutely critical. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think about ascending, like just think about this this afternoon. If you decided to ascend, how would it go? Are you stronger than gravity? Me neither. The closest I've ever seen to this is Superman taking off, beginning as Clark Kent and then with his cape and everything. The point is, is that most of us in the, alone, this miracle of him lifting off, that would have been something right there. But they knew something far greater was going on. They knew, as we sang earlier, that he had left his father's throne. And he was actually going back to his father's throne, but he was doing it in style. He was doing it with unbelievable power and a picture that they could never forget. I mean, if you witness this, you never forgot it. I think the closest thing that I can do to illustrate this is, have, have many of you ever seen the movie Apollo 13? If you've ever seen that movie with Tom Hanks in it, you know that one of the tense moments of the whole movie is, will they get back? Now, here's the only thing. If you study the history of Apollo 13, is they, they got back, but they didn't accomplish their mission. See, the trouble that happened to their machine made it impossible for them to accomplish their mission, but they did get back. But Apollo 11, some of us were alive at that point, and remember on that Sunday night on our black and white TVs when Neil Armstrong stepped down onto the moon and made that comment, and that 
That showed that he reached his destination there, but would he get back? And when that capsule landed in the ocean and made re-entry, people went crazy. Why? Because they completed their mission and they got back. And Jesus completed his mission and returned to the Father as Lord. And you know, the early church sang a hymn about this. We've mentioned this a number of times, but Philippians 2 has that. And I'm only going to list part of it. It tells us that in the first part of the hymn, he humbled himself, that though he was God, he stepped down from the glories of heaven and humbled himself and became a servant a human being, even so far as to die a shameful death on the cross. Now look at what God did because Jesus did that and accomplished his mission. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, yours and mine, confess that Jesus Christ is what, friends? Lord, he's it, to the glory of God the Father. And this is part of what we recognize is the ascension demonstrates that without question, he not only accomplished his mission, but he is the Lord of lords, King of kings. And that's why the early church sang. But if he hadn't ascended, he would not have been able to demonstrate that. The second thing I want you to see that if Jesus doesn't ascend, he can't fully triumph over sin, Satan, and death. And there's a lot that I could share here, but what we, what we see is, is that the Bible tells us that right now, Jesus has ascended, but there's still a lot of things wrong in the world. Does anybody notice that? But Jesus on the cross served notice that the time is short. For Satan, the time is short for death. The time is short for sin having the last word. And the Bible tells us is that right now, Jesus is waiting until the last enemies of, are to be destroyed and put under his feet. And 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, this is good news for some of you, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Jesus is at, you know, the place of honor right now, making sure those things happen at the right time, and when those things have happened, he will come back. The third thing I want you to see is that if Jesus doesn't ascend, he can't be glorified and sit down at God's right hand. He can't be glorified and sit down at God's right hand. Why? Because he's still here. But if he ascends, he can go to that place. Now again, most of us, we just go, okay, God's right hand, like what are you talking about? Picture the control center of all the universe. That's God's right hand. God's right hand means the place of honor, the place of authority. That's why Jesus, before he left, could say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I can do that because I, I'm going to ascend the Father, all authority. I can give you this authority to do the things I'm calling you to do because now he's at God's right hand. And we'll keep coming back to this, but I want this to fill your imagination. By the way, I don't expect you to remember all eight of these things I'm going to talk to you about. I'd love it while we're talking about it if you would be thinking about what stands out to you today about Jesus' ascension. And maybe you want to talk about it later at lunch. But here's the thing I want you to notice. God's right hand, control center, the idea of sitting, for Jewish people in those days was the idea that I accomplished my work. 
Some of us sit down before we've finished our job, before we've finished our work. But the idea is that sitting meant was go ahead and sit down while we stand because you're in the place of honor and you did it. Way to go. So Jesus did that. The fourth thing I want you to see is that if Jesus doesn't ascend, he can't send his Holy Spirit to live in us. If Jesus doesn't ascend, he can't send his Holy Spirit to live in us. If you look at John 16, 7, this is what he said to his disciples. And uh, I list a lot more scripture out to the right, as you can tell. You can look at this more later if it's helpful to you. But here's what he says, and let's read it together. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now in John 14, 15, 16, <clears throat> Jesus repeatedly is talking to them about how I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he interchanges some names for the Holy Spirit. Helper, advocate, you know, comforter. And so he says this, if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. And if I don't send the Holy Spirit to you, then the only way you and I are going to be interact is if you're with me physically. But if I go away, now all of a sudden I can be in a million corners of the world at once through my spirit. I can actually live in you in a different way. And here's the other fr truth, friends. You and I cannot live the Christian life in our own power. You ever tried it? Frustrating. Unless God gives you the person of the Holy Spirit to live in you. And the Bible tells us that when every person, whoever humbles themselves, repents, acknowledges their sin, and receives God's gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, at that moment, they are given the person of the Holy Spirit to come and live in them. But before that happened, before he ascended to heaven, he told them to wait. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Because he hadn't gotten to God's right hand. But from that day on, friends, that's when everything changed. Look at Acts 2.33. Ten days later, Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit was sent after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so here's what Peter stands up. Now, I'll just say one thing to you. I don't know if you understand. When Peter stands up, he's not from Jerusalem. The, the disciples, the reason why Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem, wait, is not because they lived there. He was trying to tell them, look, stay, even though this isn't your home. Do you remember what the angels said to them? Men of Galilee. Well, that was like at least two or three days walk away. That's not the area they're from. And this is the city where Jesus had been hated and killed. This is the city where they had, their needs had been knocking just to follow Jesus. But now, 10 days later, Peter is able to stand up and say to this crowd, thousands of people that had gathered, you need to understand something about what's happened. And so he says this in Acts 2, 33. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. See, when they began to see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in these everyday normal people, people were going, what's going on? And he's going, oh, this was part of the unfolding plan, and it's all because Jesus ascended that this has happened. I'll give you another story. Some of you have heard of the incredible Norwegian explorer named Roald Amundsen. He not only discovered the uh, median uh, point of the North Pole, but also discovered the South Pole. So he's a pretty good explorer. 
Um, what happened is, is that on one of his exhibitions, ex expeditions, excuse me, he took a homing pigeon. And he told his wife that when I reach my destination, I'll release the homing pigeon so you can know I made it. Could you imagine the joy his wife experienced as she looked every day into the skies and saw the pigeon? At that moment, she realized what he said has come true. He reached his destination, and he is alive. And friends, on the day of Pentecost, when they saw the dove-like work of the Holy Spirit, people realized Jesus kept his word. He's at God's right hand. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Now we can live a different way. And these are the kinds of things that produced in them great joy. He cares about us. He wants us to know his power. He wants us to know the presence of his own Holy Spirit living in our lives. And the ascension made this possible. But notice that if he doesn't ascend, he not only can't send his Holy Spirit, but he can't give us spiritual gifts to serve as his body. He can't give us spiritual gifts to serve as his body. Now, sometimes I've talked about the person of the Holy Spirit kind of like a Russian doll. Some of you have seen that. I've been given one. It's made out of wood and painted on the outside. And what you notice is it looks like one gift. It's an interesting looking doll. But if you open it up, inside there's even more gifts and even more dolls. And so you realize that when somebody gave you one gift, they gave you more than one gift. So when God gave us the Holy Spirit, he not only gave us his own spirit who lived in him while he was here on earth and now can live in us, but also when the Holy Spirit came, it's almost like a Dr. Seuss story, all of a sudden now out of his hat comes even more gifts and he gives us spiritual gifts, gifts that are even more important than material gifts, even more important than emotional gifts. He gives us all these gifts, but one of them is spiritual gifts. We talk about this in the network class. In other words, they're divine empowerments for serving. He makes us the body of Christ. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, the Bible tells us that while he was here on earth, he began to do and teach a number of things. Well, what happened when he ascended into heaven? He continued to teach and do many things. Who through? Now through his people, his body, the church. And so part of what he's done is he's given us each other and he's equipped us with spiritual gifts to serve one another, but also to glorify him and also to care about people beyond our walls. And all this is possible because right now, Jesus is at God's right hand. He has made sure that we have all of these resources to live the Christian life. Aren't you thankful? But if he hadn't ascended, we wouldn't have those. Notice that if Jesus doesn't ascend, six. He can't be our great high priest who intercedes for us if you're following along. If Jesus doesn't ascend, he can't be our great high priest who intercedes for us. This may be one of the sweetest truths of all. It's one thing to have someone who says, now do this, now do this, now do this. But to have someone who is interceding for us, who understands everything we're going through, and who is powerful enough to help us in it, well, that's good news. Look at what Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says. Therefore, since we have a great, great high priest who has, look at this next phrase, ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you go to pray, doesn't it mean everything to you to know that Jesus is at God's right hand advocating for you, interceding for you, being for you, and being understanding of whatever you may be going through in your weakness or pain? Oh, my goodness. This has helped so many Christians down through the centuries. Romans 8, 34 is one more verse that tells us, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Some people ask, what's Jesus doing right now? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's sitting at God's right hand and he is praying for every one of his people he is cheering us on. He is for us. What a great high priest. But that wouldn't be possible if he hadn't returned to the Father. We'd have to figure out a way to schedule an appointment. But now we can come right into his presence, no matter what the moment is, no matter what we're facing. Thank you, Jesus, for ascending into heaven. If Jesus doesn't ascend, here's the seventh thing. He can't go to prepare a place for us in his Father's house. He can't go to prepare a place for us in his father's house. So these are well-known verses to many Christians. John 14, 1 through 3. Look at what he says here. This is the night before he's crucified. Let not your hearts be troubled. And he wasn't saying don't let them ever get troubled, but don't let them stay troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's saying, look, I know you're sad about me going, but if you only knew that one of the reasons I'm going is because I'm going to go ahead of you to prepare a place for you so that when you get there, you're going to feel so at home, it's going to blow your mind. My dad's often reminded me that this idea of prepare doesn't mean that he's going to prepare a, uh, a dorm room or some kind of dormitory kind of setting. What he's going to do is to prepare a place that is so personal, that is so full of his understanding of who you are and what you most need. Can you imagine going to a place so perfect that every, every breath of air you breathe, you go, I'm home, I'm home. Jesus is going to prepare a place like that for every one of his people who have humbled themselves and put their trust in him. The last thing that I want you to see is if Jesus doesn't ascend, he can't come back in the same way he left, if you're following along. Number eight, he can't come back in the same way he left. I was thinking about this. Can you imagine this? The Bible says is that he's going to return the same way he left. And uh, the Bible says is that every eye will see him. Now, Jesus, the night that he was on trial before he was crucified, they pestered him with questions, and he often stayed quiet. Finally, the high priest, who was not like our high priest, said to him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Tell us right now. Very rudely said that to him. And Jesus finally said, in Mark 14, 62, I am, and from now on, 
you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. There's a day coming when I'm coming back and I'm going to come back in power on the clouds of heaven and every eye, you won't have to worry about if you're watching CNN or Fox News, you will see it in the sky. Is that not amazing? The angels said you can keep, and I don't know about you, but maybe one of the practical things you and I can do, just like Amundsen's wife, just like these people when they watch Jesus go, I don't know about you, but every once in a while I just want to look up and say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. I'm so glad that you're making plans to come back with all your authority on the clouds of heaven. So if all this I mean, just think about this. None of this would be possible in your life or mine. And maybe you've never appreciated it before. But if you're following along, notice, but he has ascended to God's right hand and D-O-N-E all of this. But he has ascended to God's right hand and D-O-N-E done all of this. Some of the staff know that one of my favorite ways of understanding the difference between religion and Christianity is the way you spell it. Religion is spelled D-O. It's all about what we do for God. And it's an endless treadmill. We can never do enough, but a lot of people think they can. But Christ urges us to give up the do plan for the done plan, in which the Bible says is that everything that was necessary to make us right with God was done by Christ and is a done and finished work all we can do is receive it and now begin to live in all the riches and resources that come with him. And so, friends, because of what Jesus Christ has done, not just on the cross, not just on his resurrection, but also in his ascension, you and I can experience a different kind of life. We can actually walk around with a sense of great joy even when we may be going through deep sorrow. We can actually look forward to those things because we know that we're going to spend a whole lot more time with him one day than we're going to spend here on earth. The way we walked around and think, this is the life, this is all there is. No, this is not all there is. But we can live here differently because of what he's done. So I want to talk to you in the last few minutes of how do we live in light of the ascension. This last week, I spent some time in Iowa uh, studying and uh, really mainly working on how we develop an eldership plan in our church to strengthen the elders we have and also raise up future elders. And did a lot of reading, and as I was spending time, but I would go for walks each day and just try and pray, just try and soak in, just say, God, I've been going 100 miles an hour. How do I just go a little slower here and think about what you want to say? And so as I was doing that, uh, one morning, I, I just came across Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And I just began to meditate on it, repeat it over and over again. And I don't know if you've seen these verses before, but they just really hit me. And I'd never thought about them in light of the ascension of Jesus. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So it says, set your hearts, right? Notice what it says next. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. And it's not saying don't ever think about anything on earth. It's just saying, set your mind. Make that your main focus so that everything you do on earth is still set on Christ where he is above. 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a promise. And so this idea of how do we practice this? How do we set our hearts and our minds on things above rather than just getting so consumed and caught up with the things here? Obviously, it's important to pay attention to the details here, but how do we live in light of the ascension? Well, if you're following along, as you worship and pray, picture Jesus with great joy. As you worship and pray, picture Jesus with great joy. Can I just ask you, when you bow your head to pray, when we're singing those songs, do you struggle to know what to think about? Do you struggle to know how to set your heart and your mind on? What, what, do, you, what do you set your heart and mind on? I find it challenging sometimes. And so when I'm challenged like that, so I noticed that over the years of being a Christian, in the early days, I would always picture Jesus walking around in robe and sandals. And then one day I began to understand that's not who he is anymore. He is at the right hand of God. When John, when Peter, when Paul were caught up to experience Jesus, it says that when they saw him in his glorified state, in a vision, they hit the ground. They were literally blown away. They realized, oh my gosh, he is at the power center of the universe. And even though we can't see him, we can know him. And this great joy just hit them. And so what I want to just ask you is, what do you picture? Can I just suggest that in these next few days, when you go to pray, that you go, oh Lord, help me picture you on a mighty throne who has been glorified, your body, you're in radiant light, you're in glory. There is, there is a timetable that you are unfolding. You are doing things I can't even see, but you are the Lord. And some people say, well, how can I picture him better? Maybe you want to read Revelation 1, 4, and 5. Those three chapters will help you grow in an imagination. But I just want to ask you to practice how you picture Jesus when you pray. Set your heart, set your minds on those things. You know why? Because the Bible says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, enduring the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. And so Peter, when he was trying to describe to people that never had a chance to meet Jesus in the body, notice what he says here in 1 Peter 1.8. Let's read it together. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This means that it's possible for you and I through the help of the Lord Jesus himself, to walk around with an inexpressible and glorious joy, a sense of knowledge of what Jesus is up to and who he is in our lives, even when everything else seems to be against us. It's a powerful thing to remember. The last thing I've listed there is to prepare and help others prepare for his return. To prepare and help others prepare for his return. So if Jesus is coming back, and if right now he's at the right hand of God, and that's where the most powerful and important things are happening, if the whole goal for us as we live here on earth is to learn how 
to be caught up with him, captured by him, to walk through our lives with him, then how can we learn to be his disciples? So do you mind reading the banners one more time with me? We are fighting shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. One of the ways that we walk around on earth these days is to say, my life from this day forward is about Jesus. It's about becoming like him. It's about learning his way. And his way, he was hungry to do the will of God. He was humble in his responses and his servanthood. And he was hospitable to people. What can I do for you? He cared about people far from God. When you and I walk around that way, we will find ourselves not just thinking about our own problems, our own selves, but we'll also say, hey, there's someone that may not know the good news of what Jesus Christ did when he died, rose again, and ascended for them. And I want to share that with you. It's the best news. If you only knew all that Jesus is up to right now, you would be so encouraged. He cares for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He ascended, and he wants you to pass this on to other people. And so as we think about all that, I want to give you just one more picture, and that's Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. You want to talk about having a bad day. He had rocks thrown at him, literally. And it tells us in Acts 7 that what kept him running the race all the way to the end was Jesus and being able to picture and see Jesus in a way that helped him. And so here it is, Acts 7. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. He'd been talking about how Jesus was the Messiah. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, not sitting, what does it say, friends? Standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would one day become Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know what'll help you run the race? with Jesus is if you remember that he is at God's right hand. Why did he stand? I believe that he did it to say to Stephen, come on, you can do this. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm praying for you. I've given you my Holy Spirit. Now live the way I taught you. And he could forgive and he could keep going because he was a disciple of Jesus who pictured the Lord differently. Friends, I pray that this day, the days ahead, you'll find yourself different because he's ascended. He did it. He did it. We want to close with a song that says, what do we want to be known for? And this song really helps us glorify God. So I invite you to sing it.